Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our recent sponsors in our past show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us. Remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, uh, I'll make one confident prediction, uh, and that is the Republicans ain't going to get rid of Donald Trump anytime soon. Uh, watch the contortions as they push to react to the former president dining with a white nationalist and a neo-Nazi. It was first silence, then kind of, oh, well, boys will be boys. Then the three stages of grief after the silence, maybe he didn't know, and well, he, you know, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I don't get the surprise, James. Hell, we've known he's a racist ever since he burst onto the scene. What do they think birthers was all about? You know, Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, as he works to give away whatever slice of soul he has left, uh, he tried to evade Duck Bob and then, you know, finally said, well, you know, I wouldn't have done it. And Liz Cheney said, you know, I know you want to be speaker, Kevin, but are you willing to com to be completely amoral? That's not one of Liz's best questions. The answer is, of course he is. Well, Kevin McCarthy is going to be an adjective, and he is going to stick around a long time. He might replace Quiesling, uh, the, the compliant Norwegian Nazi-style puppet, for, for just being spineless and gutless and everything else you can think of. So, yeah, but, 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 but he's going to be an example. You know, people will say, well, he's McCarthy-esque, and you'll know exactly what he's talking about. He's, he's, going, to be a, he's, going, he's going to be an adjective. He's, and he's going to replace Queasley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, just to remind, people ought to know who this fellow was that Trump had for dinner, had with, ha have dinner with him in Mar-a-Lago. And I'm borrowing from Peter Baker's excellent analysis. Uh, he charges uh, that, that whites in America are threatened by genocide. He's a Holocaust doubter. He embraces violence against woman, women. He celebrates Vladimir Putin. He wants to have an historic commemoration to the mob that assaulted the Capitol. He's a white nationalist. He's an anti-Semite. And, you know, the, the, the Republican response should be not just, you know, boy, I wouldn't have done that. I wish he wouldn't have done that. I don't know if he knew, but it should be that anyone who has, anyone who has traffics with people like that is unfit for office, and we won't vote for Trump. We won't support him. He is not He's, he has no right being a candidate for the Republican Party. As you know, I thought they made a big mistake in February of 2021 when after impeachment they could have gotten rid of him. They didn't, and they're going to keep paying this price. Well, uh, none of this is surprising, okay? It, they're just trashy, racist people. If I could see one thing, if I could have been a fly on the wall, I would like when Yee said he was running for president, would Trump be his vice president? <laughs> Trump started screaming at him. I mean, you got to find some humor in this because it's all so depressing and it's always the same thing. What, what, what's, how spineless can Lindsey Graham or Kevin McCarthy or, or anybody else be? And, of course, there, there's no bottom to their spinelessness. Ted Cruz, I mean, after somebody calls your wife a hag and your father a murderer and you go crawling up to him, 
you look at Ted Cruz and you, you, you don't see a man. You see a glob of protoplasm. I mean, I, I, I you know, ask me to get it. I, I don't get it. But, you know, what, it, what, what I do understand is these Republican voters like this. Understand that. It was a popular move for over half the Republican Party. And the voters are controlling the politicians. It's all it's depressing, but true. Well, there's a notion around that Trump had a bad election. And on one hand, he did. A lot of his candidates lost. But uh, a lot of those candidates were in the ballot in the first place because of Trump. You know, first, some of them won. They won in Ohio. They won in North Carolina Senate races. But nominees in Arizona, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Maryland, Herschel Walker in Georgia, they were only, they're only there because they were backed by Trump. And these other Republicans, these scared Republicans, no, man, I don't want him to come after me. Yeah, I know he's bad. I know he's evil. I know we'd love to get rid of him. But they are just, they're living petrified. It's just a terrible state to be in. Well, and it's all this DeSantisism and DeSantis worship. I urge people to read our friend, uh, two, two of our show guests have excellent pieces on Ron DeSantis. One is the great Tim Miller, who's been on our podcast, a great book out at the Bulwark. And the other one is Mark Leibovich, who's at the Atlantic Magazine, who just posted a piece on Ron DeSantis. It's, uh, they're both very informative and insightful, and I recommend them to our listeners. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about, James? Well, I mean, we could talk about the the Georgia runoff. I mean, that's uh, that's Tuesday, so our next show we'll know the winner of that. And I, I got to say, I, I don't like predicting elections, uh, but Warnock has run a really good campaign, and his ads have been really good. He's campaigned all over the state. Uh, you know, he's been very aggressive at, at pointing out. Walker and Walker's flaws and, and that kind of thing. And I, I do think uh, Warnock's going to win. Uh, but and if it does, his campaign is going to be a tutorial in how to run a campaign. And I want to talk about uh, Reverend Bovier from North Carolina was on, uh, on, on with Ali Velshi and said Democrats should forget about the suburban voters and contrary on four voters. Well, that's idiotic advice, to say the least. And Warnock is doing just the opposite. He's, of course, he's, he's concentrating on people of color and poor people in Atlanta Metro. And also, there's a lot in, in South Georgia also. But he's also campaigning vigorously across the state. And he's campaigning vigorously in places like North Fulton, where you have a, 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 a lot of upscale people. So I, I, I think if he, he wins... It, it, it's a real-time tutorial on how to run a campaign. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The latest Herschel Walker thing, first of all, he's, uh, he's claiming a tax exemption in Texas, even though he's running as a Senate candidate in Georgia. And the other day he said, uh, uh, talking about December 6th, he said, this erection is about, uh, <laughs> I, you know, heaven heaven help us. Poor, poor, poor yeah. Herschel. You know, I mean, it, I'm, I'm hardly a neurologist, but he played football for a long time, and, and boy, I, I, you know, I, I suspect that he wouldn't do well in a CAT scan. That's what I think. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. All right. Well, I guess uh, what next week we will know, James, because it's it's uh, December the sixth. So next week we'll be here and we'll give you a full analysis of what happened in Georgia and what it means, and it means what it means beyond two thousand and twenty-two and twenty-three. 
Right. Now, you know, I hope my optimism is not misplaced, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Our guest, James, is a rising star in the Democratic Party, Arizona Congressman Ruben Gallego, just elected to his fifth term, first-generation American, decorated Marine combat veteran, and a graduate of Harvard University, which we won't hold against him. Uh, <laughs> Congressman, thanks for being with us. I've long considered – let me just start about you, with your state. Uh, I've long considered Arizona a purple state that leans red. This year, Democrats won the governorships, all state governorship, all statewide offices. Mark Kelly was reelected handily to the Senate. Progressive initiatives on dark money and tuition assistance for undocumented students was approved. Arizona really is purple leaning blue now, isn't it? Well, it is. And it kind of always has been. It's just been trying to get the rest of the country to understand that. But what we saw, uh, you know, uh, a couple of Tuesdays ago is that the Democrats that had the funds to run good campaigns won. The campaigns didn't have that much uh, support, didn't win. So we know that there is a, uh, I would call the Mendoza line uh, of politics for Democrats in Arizona. It's probably around 48%. That's where Democrats are starting at now. And that's a great place for us to start compared to where we were in the past. There is no, uh, no place more affected by the border controversies than your state. Senator Kelly said national Democrats just don't get the situation. Title 42, the Trump policy, the mean policy, it turned away a million migrants and probably played a role in separating parents from kids. That expires next month, and some are expecting a flood of new, of new migrants. Is, is, the administ- is the administration prepared for this, and what more would you like to see them doing right now? Well, I don't know if the administration is prepared for this. I'm not sure you can really prepare for it, but uh, what they should be doing, if, if that's what you're asking, Uh, is number one, they need to rush as much support to the local cities on the border, right, that actually are dealing with the influx of of these migrants. Now, you know, you're going to hear the stories come up and hear about how these like local cities are, you know, are are unhappy and and are anti-immigrant. That's not the case. Uh, A lot of them are very much sympathetic. But what they don't, like anyone else, what they don't want to deal with is the the chaos it causes, right? Number one, we should have money going to these cities to help them deal with uh, the influx of, of humans. Uh, number two, we should make sure we're backing a lot of the nonprofits to help them, uh, you know, accelerate the movement uh, of these uh, asylum seekers and accelerate the movement outside of these local areas because these are small towns. I mean, the, this is you know, even El Paso is a is a relatively big city, but still a small town in terms of dealing with these types of populations. Uh, these are small towns, you know, very much, very, very, very low resources. So when you bring in 100, 200 people, you're going to start ruining the system. So help help them out. And number three, you know, we need to just follow the law, right? And, and it's very simple. You know, until we change the law, which I think we should through Immigration Reform Act, get judges down to the border and help adjudicate sooner who has a right to be here and who doesn't under refugee status, right? Because if not, then you have this pent up, demand uh, and you cause this issue, what you show is chaos on the border is what people don't like. But the other thing that we should also take note is that the messaging that Republicans used regarding the border was also unpopular. They went overboard. They went they went too stupid. Right. Mm-hmm. There's like certain levels stupid. And then they went really, really too stupid. Uh, and so while Sarah Kelly is right that we need to have a better message on the border and we need to think about the border in a in a smarter 
way, uh, the Republicans still don't don't got it. Uh, and I think they thought they had it based on 2020 numbers, but it didn't it didn't stick. Uh, as a matter of fact, they lost you know a lot of the seats that they were hoping to win along the border. So um, it's one of those little nuances people don't understand. Like I've lived on the border, on the Mexican side, on the American side. Uh, there's a culture there. It's a border culture there. There's people that have lived there for hundreds of years that are American that are used to going back and forth. And guess what? They don't like being vilified. So when you know the Republicans are talking about the dangerous border, it actually hurts their business. These are people that have businesses on the border. And they, you know, they deal with the problems and the fall of it. So it's not as simple as as I think they're they're trying to make it out. The Republicans are trying to make it out. Uh, and I think people have to understand that there is a whole along that whole border. There's a lot of families that have generational ties to the other side. Uh, and they look at the border not as black and white as other people do. Uh, they see it as an asset. If you go to parts of Nogales, like the, that, the economy on the border is booming because of cross border traffic, uh, and they want to see some you know, order, but at the same time, they don't want to be vilified because they live on the border. Well, they're now talking about, the Republicans, that is, they're talking about next year when they're in, they're in control of the House, they're going to impeach Homeland uh, uh, Security Secretary uh, uh, Mayorkas. What the hell is that all about, Congressman? Well, it's, look, the reason they're going to do it is because they have no solutions. So instead of Having solutions, they're just going to light the scarecrow on fire and try to scare everybody away. But that's not going to solve the, the problem at the border. Uh, the way to solve the problem at the border, they can't sell to their own caucus, right? They can't sell conference immigration form to uh, their, you know, to their caucus members. So instead, they're going to do this uh, mock impeachment that's not going to go anywhere. Uh, but I mean, that's what Republicans are going to do. Like they, they have no solutions, so they only have theatrics. That's all they're going to be doing next year, over and over again. You know. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see a bunch of other cabinet members get impeached as time goes on, especially as they have less and less solutions. And, you know, when you're the ringmaster of a bunch of clowns, it's hard to keep them all inside the tent. And, you know, if McCarthy is speaker, which I think is questionable, keeping those clowns in line is going to be very, very difficult. And the only way you can do, do to keep them is, is to keep them entertained. And that's going to be hard to do for two years. James. So, Congressman, uh, how are the caucus feeling about uh, Hakeem as the new, our new leader? And do you expect that he's going to grow into this job or give us some insight on? on and also, we have, we have the new leadership, which is always frightening. I think, I think it's a kind of a, you know, uh, a, a strong statement that there was no opposition to Hakeem and the leadership team. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, considering how diverse the Democratic caucus is uh, from, you know, regionally, ethically, you know, uh, ideologically. We all, you know, for the first time in a long time, uh, you know, Democrats are in array, right? And so I think he's going to do well. I, I think he's going to be a great leader. I think especially nowadays where your leadership is entirely also dependent not on just organizing the caucus, but also the outward messaging, right? Talking about Democratic values, talking, you know, about the Republicans. I think he is going to be well-tuned uh, to that. And I think he's going to have uh, the, the, the footprint and you know, the podium to do that and to really push back against Republicans who are, I think, a little better than we are when it comes to messaging. So every day, not every day, but several times a week, I get a call and says, you know, you're you're friends with Congressman Gallego. I I hope that guy runs for the Senate. (laughs) Are you open to the idea of running for for the Senate in 2024? I know you're not going to announce. Yeah, no, I I am open to it. I have been very much uh, uh, transparent about that. Uh, you know, right now I'm just 
going through the process, talking to my family, because that's the first step. And then we're doing our research and then we'll make that decision in uh, 2023. But, you know, the if you look at what happened in Arizona in uh, 2022, it tells you that Arizona is a state that is trending blue. Uh, and I, I think that wants to have a, a real Democratic senator. So we'll see what 2023 brings. Great. So it, it, before I turn it over to Alan, just go back a little bit. People, if you do a poll, people like the idea of immigration, right? They don't like the idea of disorder, right? They, Correct. Yeah. They like the idea of civil liberties. They don't like the idea of crime. I mean, it's not it, 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 but in Arizona, apparently some some young people is an organic thing, put a proposition that passed that said that people were here. And I don't know the correct word, but uh, not Dreamers. not not citizens right. or, or can can go to Arizona universities and pay in-state tuition. Yeah. That gives you an idea of how popular this is when, when well, it, yeah, that's it, always it, the boogeyman. Yeah. It gives you an idea of like, you know, how Arizona, you know understands immigration more than Nebraska, right? Mm-hmm. We're on the border. So when you try to scare us about the border, it doesn't work as well because we cross the border all the time. Right. I go to I go to Mexico, you know, the nearest beach by the way for Arizonans is in is in Mexico. It's not California. Huh. Hundreds of thousands of Arizonans go to Mexico and back cross that border every day. Right? Our largest immigrant if, if you go for example to um you know, down to the Yuma area, and you sit there at 7 a.m., you'll see thousands of Mexicans crossing legally every day to go and work. And then you'll also see about a couple hundred children crossing the border to go to school. Those are U.S. children that live in Mexico, then cross over to go to school. So, like, we have a different view of the border, right? We have a totally different view of the border. Hundreds, I mean, thousands of, of Americans cross the border every day to get low-cost dental uh, done in Mexico. I'm sure the American Dental Association could be pissed at me about this, but that's what they do, right? So like, right. there's this whole, you know, demonization that happened there that, you know, the these guys, you know, these white, you know, consultants from New York and Washington, you know, just came up with this idea, like, all right, let's do this. That's going to work in Arizona. Like, no, it didn't work because like, we have, we understand the nuance, right? And so when right. we put the ballot proposition on there, led by the DREAM Act Coalition, a lot of a lot of friends of mine. Uh, I used to call them young. They're not no longer young now. They're in their thirties. Uh, a lot of people said it was not going to happen. It was not going to pass. But again, immigration is not that big of a boogeyman in Arizona because we understand the nuance of, of it, right? We understand right. we have to have more border security, right? We also understand we need to have election. I'm sorry, in, in order to have Congress immigration reform, right? We understand that we should have border walls where it's appropriate. But we don't want borders wall, border walls everywhere where you don't need one, right? That's the balancing act in Arizona that I think a lot of people don't get. I mean, I also think a lot of people on the left don't get what what how Arizona voters think about immigration. But I certainly don't think that Republicans just really don't understand it at all. And by the by, the fact that we voted overwhelmingly to give uh, you know DACA students, DACA recipients, Dreamers the ability to pay in state tuition on by popular vote. And by the way. Give you guys an idea how much Arizona has changed. In 2006, when we actually, uh, when it was put up for a ballot to stop this uh, Dreamers from getting uh, um, in-state tuition, it passed by more than 60%. Right? So that's how much Arizona has changed in those 16 years, that it went from a 60% pro ban to, I think they won by, it ended up by 52%. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, where Arizona's really kind of been moving 
uh, quite a while. Very, very insightful point. Very insightful. But before I turn it back to Al, well, what's going to happen on this rail strike legislation? I mean, I was listening. Actually, I'm not the biggest Bernie Sanders fan in the world, but I do think he's a honest guy. And these union railroad workers don't have any sick leave. Yes, and they're asking for seven days. I mean, that, that to me, that seems like eminently reasonable that I, I you mean, have a I'm, contract and yeah. these people have no sick, so they get COVID or the wife gets right. to have a baby or they get sick, they, they break yeah. an arm or God knows what happens. I mean, that's, I, I, you know, that sounds outrageous to me. Well, it also sounds like it's a national security issue to me. Like, do you really, I mean, these men and women move some very uh, important stuff across the country, some dangerous stuff. Do we want them being sick? I, I don't know how we got into the situation. Um, you know, I think this is why, you know, it's a very good time to talk about how to reform the filibuster, because if you reform the filibuster, then we have the votes to actually pass, you know, worker safety legislation. So we passed it out of the House with some an amendment to give them uh, sick, sick leave. Now we got to go to the Senate and the Senate should take this up and give them sick leave. It is ridiculous that what they're asking for is a basic human right. Uh, and I can't believe we have to actually be fighting over this because it's not like they're asking for two weeks. They're not even asking for vacation time. They're asking for, for sick leave, right? So I'm hoping that yeah. there'll be enough votes from the Republican side to come over. But again, if you don't have enough votes, like why are you using the filibuster to stop something like this, which is very important to the economy, mind you. Right. It, it, it just seems to anybody, I, I mean, it's just ultimate fairness. I mean, come on, man, these guys are, do dangerous work. It's critical. It's almost like national security work, if you will. Uh -huh. And they don't have any sick leave? Yeah. And these companies are making uh, Senator Sanders said twenty two billion dollars. And I, I forgot the exact. Tip, but I, I don't think that Senator Sanders I don't I don't agree with him on some things. But I think he's an honest, truthful man who really believes what yeah. he does. And I don't think he was swinging those statistics around erroneously. But they were they yeah, were just jaw dropping. Yep, Albert, it, it, it's yeah. I mean, uh, look again. And I think, unfortunately, uh, when you have you, you can't be pro worker and then stop bills like this using, uh, you know, the filibuster. Like that's not going to, you know, that's not going to fly. But that's well, Congressman, that brings me to uh, what you said earlier about your consideration for 2024. What is the bill of particulars against uh, Senator Sinema? She supports the filibuster. She was against some of the uh, Biden domestic initiatives. She was the great. Yeah, champion no, I mean, I don't think it's an issue of the, support the filibuster. I think it's the absolute great, like, you know, red line that she won't even allow reforms to it because there have been reforms in the past. Right. And even then, it's not that. It's like how it affects people's lives, right? You know, for example, we had a very good uh, Inflation Reduction Act that had a lot of good promises when it comes to pharmaceuticals uh, and being able to bring costs down to pharmaceuticals. The fact is, you know, because of the filibuster, you know, she watered that down, right? There could have been a lot more people that have, been benef have benefited from that. You know, we saw uh, a lot of efforts in terms of, uh, you know, trying to bring more, uh, you know, tax equity in terms of, of uh, uh, you know, taxing the rich. She went and fought for hedge funds. Uh, you know, that private equity. She was the great defender of the special right. loophole that only goes to rich private equity executives. Yeah. And that, that's not going to fly in Arizona because guess what? Wall Street's not that, that popular, right? You have other instances where instead of being constructive, she's been obstructive. And it's not the president's agenda that, that matters. It's what matters to Arizona. It's like, what do they benefit from that, right? And so who is she compromising for? You're not compromising for Arizonans. 
you're compromising for Wall Street, for hedge fund managers, sometimes for, it seems like for Republicans. So that's the, the, the argument that's going to be made out there. And then look, you still have some very serious questions. Why don't we pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, right? And, and is it justified that you use a relic of the Jim Crow laws uh, the, um, in terms of the filibuster to stop same legislation that is needed, especially in this, these times, right? That, that someone has to answer. She has to answer that. And again, she doesn't have an answer to Democrats. She doesn't have an answer to me. She has an answer to Arizona. The fact is she doesn't answer Arizona. She doesn't go to town halls. She doesn't open herself up to, to you know, uh, unscripted conversations. Uh, and, you know, at the base, we are elected officials. Our job is to be out there and be available. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, whether she's either going to have to answer it uh, at the town hall or she's going to ever have to answer it at the ballot box. Uh, I prefer answering these kind of questions at the town hall, just my opinion. We look forward to that conversation in 2023 and 2024. Just a couple other congressmen. Uh, a lot of speculation that Republicans were going to cut heavily into the Hispanic vote uh, in this election. Uh, you certainly did, I think, as well as you could do, as, as you've ever done, rather. Yeah. Mark Kelly seems to have done well. But, but at least according to the exit polls, Carrie Lake, a right-wing Republican, got 47 percent. No, she did it. She yeah, did. It's not mathematically possible for her to get 46, 47 percent for us to win the, the election. Right. It's not Never trust exit polls when it comes to Latinos. That, right? That's a good point. But she probably did better than you would think someone like that would do. I mean, not really. Look, in Arizona, you don't win as a Democrat unless you've overwhelmingly won the Latino population by close to 64 percent. Right. Right. So I'm I represent the largest Latino population in the uh, state. In my district, Katie Hobbs hit close to 75.6% uh, support. The only person that did better than her is me, right? Mm -hmm. So that tells me that she hit the mark that she did. Now, did she do as well as Mark Kelly? No, but she probably only trailed him by, you know, three points and she had less money. So this whole bullshit about like Carrie Lake breaking in, it didn't happen. Didn't happen during the election. I was saying it wasn't going to happen in the election. It was like this, you know, it was wish casting, both by the Republican politicians, but also by pundits. They wanted to believe it because they needed right. to file this narrative. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen anyway. The only place that happened is Miami, and that's because Democrats were outspent five to one. So you're actually going to end up having that. But Latinos performed in Arizona. They performed in Nevada. They performed in the Rio Grande Valley. So, you know, it was a lot of wish casting. And now where are all these pundits that were saying it? They haven't gone back and be like, well, looking at the data, no, they, they cite exit polls, and exit polls don't even match precinct data. So exit polls of Latinos are bullshit. Data is data. Data is real. If you look at what happened uh, in terms of turnout, in terms of who voted, Katie Hobbs did extremely well with, with Democrats, and Carrie Lake did not. Well, it's good you clarify that, and I'm not going to cite exit polls anymore on the other I, I, I promise you. I mean, this is real. I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm my screed on why you can't. Latinos, I'll give that to you, but I'll take you 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you one more. I, I covered politics for a long time. The Arizona Republican Party used to be conservative, but sane. Barry yeah. Goldwater, John McCain was always one of my favorites. Jeff Flake. But now you're surrounded by a bunch of nutbags. Paul Gosar, Andy Biggs, Carrie Lake. What happened? The Cookie Caucus? What happened? I mean, like, I think the strain in in uh, in Arizona always existed. It was even prior to Trump. I mean, we've been dealing with Trump-like people uh, forever. 
Um, look, I, they lost their minds. And instead of trying to, well, let me back up. What happened essentially is that the Republican Party in Arizona in general eventually did a devil's deal where they, in order for them to bring in the voters they needed, they needed to basically throw out some other voters. So they needed to not just be a little xenophobic, they had to go whole hog xenophobic, right? Right. Um, and so they started bringing in those characters into the Democrat, into the Republican Party, thinking that they could eventually control them. Well, eventually, you know, the, you know, the clowns got a hold of the, you know, control of the tent uh, and they started electing themselves and they took power uh, in the state legislature, the state house, and then took power in the whole state party and they started being able to win primaries. All of that was kind of muted. You guys didn't see any of that because it was only state house stuff, right? What did put it over the top is when, when, uh, when uh, Trump wins, Trump doesn't just want to speak, you know, hard on immigration and scare people about gays. Like he actually believes all that and he follows it up with money. And so now the, the, the kooks are able to run for statewide offices because now they could tap all the Trump money uh, and they're drowning out the, the moderates because at the end of the day, the primary comes and the, the Republican primary voter is a lot, lot, lot more right wing uh, than your average voter. And that's yeah. basically what happened. And that's how you see Blake Masters, uh, you know, a, you know, trust. I don't even know where he came from. Nobody knows where the hell he came from. All we know is he's good at sucking up to Peter Thiel, uh, shows up and gets a, a, an endorsement from Trump. And he beats the, the sitting attorney general who's won twice. Right. Yeah. You know, that like that tells you what what happens right. That's a perfect example. So um, the reason it works in Arizona is because it's been profitable to them in terms of primary until they start losing elections, lots of elections, and they can't fundraise anymore. Uh, then, then they're going to keep going, uh, doing that, the same thing. Well, they certainly lost their share of elections this year, uh, James Carville. So, so Ruben, uh, as you discuss your family and you go through the things, whether you're deciding, I'm going to tell you one thing to scratch off the list: raising okay. money. Okay. I'm going to be your honorary, unpaid, pay my own expenses finance chair. All right, to everyone right? that's <laughs> listening to this show, in the event that Congress Gallo announces for the Senate. Send him checks. We're gonna go. We're gonna go to L.A. Uh, we're gonna go around the country. We're gonna take this show. We, 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 I'll, I'll, I got a lot of friends in Arizona too. We're gonna raise the money, dude. I promise. If you decide okay. to do this, don't, 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 don't back off because of that. Because oh, no, believe no. you me, people call me every day. I say, well, <laughs> keep the powder dry. <laughs> right. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, James. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? You were as good a guest as I, I knew you would be, and it was more fun. I, I'm so glad that we got to to go into a lot of different topics that are very contemporary and very part of the landscape. I, I just always, when I hear people talk bad about immigration, their place, I said, they, I hear this sometimes rural Virginia, West Virginia. I said, let me tell you something. They're not, they don't, they're not coming here. They're going to Houston. They're going to Phoenix. They're going to Los Angeles. They're going to Miami. They, 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 I mean, yeah. don't worry about it, you know? But <laughs> also like, you know, uh, we, we, at the same time, we need to figure out, like how our economy functions without them, right? You, like we have this, like, uh, you know, I think the country has this like uh, bifurcated and just view. It's like, well, we don't want immigration, but we also need them. Like we can't feed ourselves without our, our immigrants. We, we can't, the economy would, would, stop, would stop, right? So like, 
you know, the thing I tell people, it's like, look, I'm, I'm the son of immigrants. Like, and, and I came here, you know, I, my family came here. I was born, luckily to be born here. And all they wanted to do is work. And everyone, all we want to do is work. We just want to be part of the American dream. That's it. And, you know, I've, I've gotten to live it. And that's what these people want to do. Now, what we should do is make it easier for them to come here legally in an organized manner. And that way we can continue to grow this economy. That way more people can become, you know, part of the American dream and continue to push the American dream. Or we could be Japan or China, by the way, right now, that are going to be going through some really hard times because they can't find any, they have an aging population and nobody uh, to work to support them, right? So we have the, you know, we're the best situation in the world. When you're the country that people want to move to, that means you still have a great country. When you have, when you're the country people are trying to move out of, that means you have a declining country. Right. That's great. So, so before I let you go, because there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I'm, I'm, I'm just asking a couple. Of, I know you're interested in in national security, several committees. You, you were in the Marine Corps for that counts for. It, the Army is short like 20,000 on its recruiting goals. Yeah. Army can meet its recruiting goals through immigration. I mean, people like immigrating this country are much more likely to serve in armed forces than oh, yeah. people are living here. Do you think that we're going to stand by Ukraine, uh, or is it going to be really? You know, by the way, I recommend an article by Anthony Cardsman. He's at the Center for Security and International Studies, or something yeah, of like course that. He's, yep. he's a, it, it, it's just just stunning yep. what a good time, political yeah. issue this is. Do you think we're going to be able to maintain our support for 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 the Ukrainians? I, look, I think I think you're going to have a Senate and you're going to have a White House that is going to be supportive. I think you're going to have a tough time on the House side. But I think we're going to be able to figure out a way to support them. But we have to recognize that there is an anti-Ukraine pro-Russia caucus within the Republican caucus. And uh, they they want us to to not support them. And it's key to the Russian victory if the United States falls back because they know then the whole coalition uh, breaks apart. I was in Ukraine in December of last year before the, the war kicked off. And I could tell there that then in talking to the Ukrainians, they had a will to fight, you know, down to, to, to last man. Um, how can we be a country that talks about freedom and democracy when you have the clearest example of black and white and we're going to abandon, abandon the people that just want to be free, right? Um, it would be a, it'd be such a moral uh, stain on this country if we abandon, you know, freedom loving, fighting people, right? People that are willing to fight if you give them the opportunity. Uh, and let me tell you, if we keep this up and we keep our support of, of Russia, I'm sorry, of Ukraine going, they will defeat Russia and they will push them out of Ukraine. Uh, the question is, you know, in the past, like, we used to be, we used to ask ourselves, like, do we believe in Ukraine? The question is, do we believe in ourselves now? Are we willing to do it? Because we're willing to do it, they will fight and they will win. We just have to be willing to, to, to believe it uh, and give them the support that they need. Well, for, uh, when I come to Arizona, I want to go to a town hall. Something tells me that you're you're sure asking your town hall. Oh yeah, I think, <laughs> town I hall expert. Left and right, I don't care. <laughs> there you go. All right, Semper Fi, man. Congressman, we can't thank you enough, and I promise I'm not going to refer to exit polls anymore. But thanks a thank lot. You are <laughs> right. fabulous you're guest. Right. Fabulous. Adios. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right, James, now for our listener questions. Uh, this first one is clearly for you. Isaac in Hampton, Virginia mm. says, now that the midterms are over, how can I continue to help the Democratic Party 
from now until 2024. Well, we still we still got one left in Georgia. So, to the extent that you can send a small check, or you might, if you know some people in Georgia, have relatives, anything like that, you can call them and urge them to vote. Uh, you know, and then after that, well, uh, you know, Virginia's you know you pretty pretty competitive uh, house seats there. They uh, are, uh, you know, in Hampton Roads. Uh, you know, you, you got a lot to do in Virginia. And uh, we got a great state party there, the state party chair, Susan Swecker. Uh, you might talk to your lo- local party hierarchy, but I'm sure they can put you to work to do a lot of different things. And I, if I'm not wrong, there are some state legislative seats that are up in yeah. 2023. And that's, that's, that's really important uh, because Governor Youngkin is not up to much good. Right. So you can get, get involved with those. You know, Matt in Cincinnati says, with Florida, Ohio, and Iowa off the table for Democrats now, how do they push through on, say, North Carolina? Uh, I've heard it's relatively easy to get to 48 percent, but how do they reach the final 2 percent? You know, it's a state, as James knows, that I know a little bit about. I went to college down there, spent a lot of time. My son worked in a campaign down there. They lost. It was disappointing. But of all those states, if, if the Democrats want to add anything in, in a close election for, for 2024, North Carolina is number one, two, and three. It's a much better bet than Iowa or than Ohio or Florida, and it's hard. The one thing they could do is not listen to the Reverend um, Mr. Barber on politics, you know, maybe on morality when he says ignore suburban uh, women <laughs> and suburban voters. Uh, uh, the party has got to do a better job of, of registering uh, more voters, you know, suburban, convincing suburbanites, as well as registering more young people. And um, their money made a huge difference. The Republicans in that campaign this year spent had $53 million more of outside spending. I think with something close to an even playing field that North Carolina is a, is a, is a winnable race. It's tough. It's really tough. But Obama won it in 08. Democrats could win it in 24. I can't think of another state, James, that they lost in 20 where they have a better shot for in 24. Well, you know, look at, you know, we got, we got uh, Ruben Gale coming to Arizona. Arizona, is, Democrats have won a lot of races in Arizona. I, we never right. thought that would happen because the demographics in Arizona change. Same thing in Georgia. I mean, we're probably going to have two Democratic senators from Arizona and Georgia, uh, and even a Democratic governor in, in, in Arizona and carried both. And the the natural flow is going to come to North Carolina. I, I have no doubt that North Carolina is going to be a, a blue state at the end of this decade, but that's not good enough. We can make it blue in 2024. And I'm having lunch in New Orleans uh, Morgan Jackson, who's Cooper's top guy, is coming to New Orleans for the DGA, and I'm I'm going to find out from Morgan what what do people think, how we can you know get uh, as Admiral Strategy says that the, the extra tactical mile, right. that's all we need is the extra tactical mile, and, and I think you, as I run through things in my head, I, I'm pretty sure that you're right that North Carolina is got the best chance of being the new Arizona or the new Georgia. Yeah, and they got a good governor. Morgan Jackson yeah. works for Roy Cooper. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, and they now, and, and the threat in, is greater than ever because the Republicans sadly took over that state Supreme Court, which is a check on some of the excesses of the state the state legislature. So they have to win the governor's race in 2024. That's absolutely right. critical. Absolutely. And if you do that and you make a big effort there, you got a shot at the presidential level. You know, we don't know who's going to sure do. But anyway, the next question is, this is from Nick in 
Stowe Gumber, England. I think it's, or it may be Stowe Gumber. I've never been to Stowe Gumber, England. If I have, I didn't know it. Right. Uh, he says, I'm always interested in the parallels between the Labour Party in England and the Democratic Party. The far left of the Labour Party have always been more interested in fighting each other or the Labour moderates rather than taking on the Conservatives. Divided Democrats who refuse to accept their differences are a big threat. It's just like the Labour Party, isn't it, James? Well, uh, if you remember, in, I think it was 1983, Michael Foote wrote the Labour Party Manifesto, which was referred to in the British press as the longest suicide note in history. <laughs> I mean, the Labour Party has this really self-destructive uh, inclination. I, I, I think they're going to win. If they go to post, and I forgot how much time there, but it, but they got the Tories have another couple of years. If they went to post yeah. right now, Labor have seventy percent of the seats in yep. House of Commons. And as long as they they don't do stupid things, that Martin Wolf said, Britain has got to stop doing stupid things. Well, the Labor Party has done a lot of stupid things in its history. Hopefully, it, it doesn't do it, and they'll get back into power. Well, that's right. It depends on, you know, who who holds the upper hand in that party. I mean, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown uh, uh, did well by the Labor Party. Michael Foote and Jeremy Corbyn were disasters. Well, This new I mean, guy, Jer I guess. Jeremy Corbyn was a tutorial in what not to do. Exactly. And, of course, he was being hailed by, by the American left. Yeah. Which, which I, I don't know who's who's dumber, the American left. Or the, I think, the, I think the, the U.K. left is dumber than our left, but I, it's close. I mean, yeah, I mean, because our left is is counterproductive in politics and and naive and sometimes stupid. Their left is really more insidious. I mean, right. I mean, Jerry, 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 uh, Jeremy Corbyn was really kind of a a Putin kind of guy. I, I just so I I think they're they're worse. Uh, James, our next question is uh, coming from Shane in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He says, "Has the narrow Republican win for control of the House while Democrats main control of the Senate given?" the GOP, all the rope they will need to hang themselves in 2024. Good question, Shane. Will Republicans taking the House end up being a Pyrrhic victory? And how would you coach Democrats to capitalize on this vulnerability? The first thing I would do is if you're a Democrat in the House now, you understand you're not going to do any legislating. So don't 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 think, well, I'm going to propose this. You can propose it for the home folks if you want to. It's going to be all about demagogic hearings and um, and phony investigations. And uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who's the new leader, has to make sure that the ranking Democrat on those committees, that can be the Jim Jordan Judiciary Committee, that, that uh, Investigations Committee, is someone really smart. That's what Pelosi did. Elijah Cummings turned Trey Gowdy and those Benghazi people inside out. He was so smart. And they, 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 can't, they can't worry about seniority. They have to go to the smartest person they have to be the senior Democrat because these hearings are going to be, uh, a, are going to be demagogic witch hunts. But if you handle it right, uh, you, can, you can take them on. I, I, I'm optimistic that the Democrats are going to handle this right. I, and it's not, it's, of course, it's very important that Hakeem produces the best Democratic candidates to sort of rank a member on these committees. But let me tell you, there's a ton of outside money being raised, and there's going to be a ton of, of, of people uh, really involved in doing research and hitting back and spending money and all of that stuff. The, the Republicans kind of went... They didn't. They didn't. We didn't. weren't that smart on the Obama, but you know, Benghazi and that kind of stuff. They, they, we, we're going to hit back, and I, I think they got some smart people out of doing this. And I think we're going to hit back and hit back pretty hard. I, I do. I, I'm. I predict 
that we do a lot better in these hearings than people think than we traditionally do. Well, no, I would just differ. I think I think traditionally, sometimes we've done quite well. We did quite well with Elijah Cummings yeah. uh, and before. And if you go back to Dan Burton and some of those crazies 20 Ooh. years ago, people like Phil Shalero turned them inside out. So, we're going to do good this time. And I agree. I, I, I agree with you. Tom in Myrtle Beach, I guess he's picking up on last week's great show on Dark Money. He says, is the problem with money in politics just Republicans or there Democrats who are part of it and may deserve to be primary? The, the, repeat the question. I'm sorry. It is, it is the problem with money in politics. Is it just Republicans or are there Democrats who are part of the problem and maybe deserve to be primaried? Well, I, everybody is part of the problem. Right. There's no no doubt about that. But the Republicans are so much more part of the problem, and they are zero part of the solution. I mean, the Citizens United was just it, it was utterly disgusting. It was all done by Republicans. And if you, you think about it, if you're polluting, there's a lot more money you can make by polluting than you can make by stopping polluting. But but of, of course, both sides do it. Uh, I, but one side does it way more than the other side, and the, that side doesn't want to fix it. It doesn't want to do anything about it. Mitch McConnell is totally adamantly opposed to any kind of campaign finance reform or anything like that. So, yeah, it, 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 it's correct to say both sides, but to say both sides do something, you know, is both sides break traffic laws. You know, one travels 70 in a 65-mile-an-hour zone, and the other one runs through you know, 70 miles an hour in a school zone. Well, both are guilty of a traffic violation. Nah, it's true, but it's a lot different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Sheldon Whitehouse said last week, and by the way, anybody out there who didn't hear last week's show, we did the entire program on dark money with Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, the New Yorker's Jane Mayer, and Arizona's Terry Goddard, who uh, uh, led the effort to ban uh, uh, or led the effort to have to disclose dark money in that state. And you ought to go back and listen to it if you haven't. And as yeah. Sean White has pointed out, he brought, he has a bill. It says, just disclose. Disclose big amounts of money. You know, doesn't affect whether you can give them or not. And every Democrat in the Senate voted for it. Every Democrat in the Senate, every Republican in the Senate voted against it. Pure and simple. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a dangerous uh, both-siderism because at some level... There's some truth to it, but there's a lot more not truth to it. Yeah. Mark in Vinton, Iowa, said in 2020, experts were surprised at how many millions of people who typically never vote turned out for Trump. Really true in 2016. Do we know if those same voters showed up in 2022 or did they stay home because Trump wasn't in the ballot? I, I don't have a definitive word yet on, on exactly the composition of turnout. I've seen some conflicting signals. Some say black turnout was really quite down. But next week's show, next week's show, you got to listen. Michael McDonald from the University of Florida will be on. And James, I don't think there's anybody better in the country at being able to analyze voting, who voted, uh, who didn't vote, uh, and the differences between 2022, 20, and 18 and projections ahead. Well, I, I think from whatever thing I can discern, I think you're right on black turnout. I, I think in Georgia, the black turnout was the lowest it's been since 2006. Uh, that's something that we, we need as a party we, we need to, to look pretty hard at. Uh, I think the, the problem that we're having with black turnout is you got people like Reverend Barrier 
and, and other people that are telling black people it, it doesn't make any difference. They don't do anything for you, which is decidedly not true. But it, it, when you hear that kind of claptrap that comes out of some of these leftist corners, uh, people hear it. And, and, and the truth of the matter is Biden's approval uh, uh, among blacks should be, you know, it's high, but it's not stratosophic. It should be a lot higher. I think what I'm guessing, and I'm, I'm like you, I'm not an expert on this, and we'll talk to Professor McDonald, and we'll, we'll talk, you know, when the catalyst numbers come out and Brownstein and people weigh in on them. I think it was young people that might have saved this. I, mean, I, th- I think they held up a, a good percentage of the electorate. So uh, it's, it's a point well taken, and we don't have a definitive answer yet. We have suspicions, but we'll get some of our suspicions, you know, either confirmed or debased, you know, uh, a week from today. Yeah, Michael McDonald, who'll be great. Our last question, this is a Wake Forest grad, but I'm going to give it to you, James. It's from right. Pete, Pete in Raleigh. And he said, aren't people underestimating moderates? Couldn't there be a bipartisan moderate coalition in the House that elects a moderate speaker and pa- perhaps even agree to divide the committee chairs between the two parties? Oh, I wish. <laughs> uh, you know, pick the five. I, I mean, I, you would talk to Ruben and uh, Elias coming. I, you, McCarthy's going to have a hard time putting the votes together. And, you know, I, I you know, my my fantasy dream is, is that five, six Republicans go to the Democratic caucus and say, let's put up a moderate Republican for speaker. And if you support this, we'll, we'll you know, make a deal of boom, boom, boom. I don't think that's impossible. I don't think it's very likely. But they think if they don't. If McCarthy didn't get the votes, you got to have a speaker and the whole House votes on it. So it, it could be a, a, a mel of a hess for them. It could be. Really and there, could. there are more than a dozen Republicans in the House uh, next session that are in districts that Biden carried. Right. And they are people who have to be worried about uh, Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gatz coming up with this right-wing demagogic uh, uh, stuff all all year, and, and that that ain't gonna help them. And I, I agree, it's a long shot, but that's, you know, all you need is uh, is a half dozen. Yeah, I mean that's it. And, and you know, in in the, the Freedom Caucus that makes they're gonna make McCarthy because you can make McCarthy do anything you want McCarthy to do. Uh, he comes up with a bunch of stuff. We we can't do this. We can't. The House can't operate under this condition. And yeah. boom, you Jump got something. Jump, Kevin. How high? How well, high? How high? Yeah, but but <laughs> people are gonna gonna watch that they, they they're watching it. They're not engaged when when they see how pathetic this guy is. Uh, it, it's gonna have some effect on on on, on public opinion and th- these hearings. I mean, Jim Jordan and company. They're not that smart. All right, that that's the thing you got to remember. Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Paul Gosser or. or, or any of them, uh, the Clay Higgins, Louis Gomert, I don't think he's back. They're not particularly, they're, oh, they're we, kind of dumb people. We, we miss Louis. Hey, thanks for your questions. Please keep them coming. We'll get to as many as we can. Don't forget to tell us where you're from. James, I really like Auburn University. It gave my wife an honor at a wonderful New York event several years ago. It's a good school, liberal arts, as well as engineering and the sciences. And being in the SEC, they want to have a successful football program. They have a pretty rich history. 
But the hiring this week of Liberty coach Hugh Freeze dishonors that distinction. This is a man with a sordid background. He was fired from Ole Miss five years ago when he was caught cheating. He lied about it. He tried to blame it on his predecessor. That was a lie. He was caught using a university mobile phone to call an escort service. He said that was just a mistile 12 times. Worst of all, he lied to his players about these offenses and what was going to happen, thwarting their opportunities back then to transfer. Hugh Freeze wins football games, but it's at a reputational price. Yeah, I recommend the article. I, I read any, anybody's a real sports fan. You need to. It's expensive, but it's worth it. Sports Business Journal, and they really went through this whole Hugh Freeze thing. But by the way, they corrected the record on, on my dear friend Mark Emmert, who was twelve years head of the NCAA. It, it's a wonderful piece on Mark, and I highly recommend it. But you're right, the, the Auburn. The, it, I mean. The guy can coach. I'll give him that, and you know we'll see what happens. But I, 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 sometimes you dance with the devil; it doesn't, it doesn't end up right. And I, I think it's an appropriate outrage. Uh, my outrage. I'm going to read a paragraph from New York Magazine. I think the reporter's name is Margaret Hartman. I, 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 I literally spit my coffee up laughing when I read this. In separate press conferences on Tuesday morning, Representative Kevin McCarthy and Ron DeSantis said they were very disturbed that leaders of our are legitimizing the persecution of marginalized people. No, they're not worked up about Donald Trump dining with white supremacists or anti-Semite Nick Fuentes. They're worried about the Biden administration and Apple potentially taking action against Twitter and its new owner, Elon Musk, the world's richest man. DeSantis says it would be a huge mistake, and McCarthy declared, I think they should stop picking on Elon Musk. Of all, I, I don't, of, all of the people that you're going to stand up for, I wouldn't think Elon Musk would be the first one. I, I don't know the guy. I think he. I think he's probably a genius. He seems awfully weird to me, man. If your daughter brought him home, you go, whoa. I don't know if this is. A, I don't care how much he's worth. Shit, I don't know. Look like a. It looks like a weird guy. But that is what the modern Republican Party has become. Is you know, it's it's not a somebody living in subsidized housing, holding down three jobs, trying to raise kids. It's not about a. a, a police officer walking a beat or, or, or a soldier, anything else. It's about, we got to stop picking on, on Elon Musk. This is just an outrage, the way that we're doing this. Poor Elon. I get this. It's freaking unbelievable. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, by the way, before, I have an emergency introduction to the Ivy League Strength to Hall of Fame. I want to break the rules and put a okay, name out there. Okay, all right, there. go it's ahead. Stuart Rhodes, graduate of Yale Law School. Mm -hmm. I think he deserves unanimous entry. Into the Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame. I agree. That's, that's a unanimous vote, James. Yeah. That could, when you get a sedacious conspiracy conviction, you, you, you automatically waved in. That's like, that's like hitting 80 home runs in a season. Right, right. No, he, he's in. good. And, and, you know, we've probably got a couple other candidates that we've been ignoring for a while, but we'll get back to them. In yeah, we'll get back to it. I, this is just an emergency. I'm going outside the rules. We usually confer... And, and give no, great I, thought to this, but this is one of these that, that really didn't require a lot of thought. Th you're right. This is an easy one. Okay, Stuart, welcome to the Sphincter Ivy League Hall of Fame. Um, okay. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. 
Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you check out the links to recent sponsors in our show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning. 